from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 889, Securing Sprawling Services, with guest Corinne Bissett. Recorded Monday, June 5th, 2023. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts, LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Hi, this is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. Bringing back one of my favorites today, Karim Bissett is a technologist at Veeam on the project strategy team and based in the U.S., and she has a strong technical background in network and security, and she developed project management skills to self-manage tasks in a goal-oriented fashion and is well-versed in Office 365 and the Azure platforms. Welcome back to the show, Corinne. It's a pleasure, as always. Uh, I know I'm hanging out with my friends when we talk for a half an hour before we record the show. <laughs> oh, wow. It has been a half hour, hasn't it? It has. But that's all good. Hey, I have a great comment off of a show I really wanted to read to you. I think uh, it would spin us off in an interesting direction. This is actually from show 867, which I recorded with Jess Dodson down in Australia, uh, published back in February this year, 2023. And we were were talking about strengthening security. It was one of that, okay, we haven't got a lot of money, but we've got to make our security systems better because look what's going on out there. Like it's, we're wearing tinfoil hats for a reason. And mostly it was about spending time on the right things, like getting some hours to improve stuff. And CS has this comment. It's about from a month ago. So uh, back in, in May or so, he says, uh, here's a suggestion for a show. What about security for companies that do everything online using software as a service solutions for whatever they need? So they've got their email with a major email provider, you know, maybe M365. Uh, they've got their source codes in GitHub. They're maybe using Google Docs for their files and things. These kinds of companies don't really have a centralized network that employees connect through with their laptops. Heck, they may not even have a VPN at all because you know everything's publicly available online. What does security even look like for such online-based companies without a centralized network? So I would say this is a lot more common than you think it is. Yeah, no kidding. And not for the reason that you think it is. And I know this just because beyond my career at Veeam, I actually moonlined as a teacher. Oh, wow. And this is a super common situation in education because you have just frontline worker types of situation with all of your students. Right. And you have such an application sprawl because you move applications from year to year, from teacher to teacher. Everyone's got their own homegrown. I like this application because I went to this seminar and I want to use it for my students. Right. You hear it a hundred times in education and it's always web-based and you have a huge sprawl in education not to mention the huge fight between are we going microsoft are we going google and those little ones in between and that's just on the k through 12 not to mention college when you're getting into research in the github and bigger situations and especially when you're talking about schools like that's my information about minors too. So, I mean, we're not talking about corporate secrets here, but we are talking about significant privacy issues. Oh yeah. 
I was listening to a talk not too long ago. Is uh, I think it's FTCE. It's the education conference, the big one that they have all over here in the United States. And it was an FBI agent that hmm. came to do a talk. And he comes in and educates schools. And one of the number one things he likes to inform them, yes, you may be low profit. You don't have a ton of money in the school system. But each student's data and privacy is worth enormous amounts of money right. out on the different markets. So you actually can count each one of these students as a dollar bill mark for how much you have to protect in these different schools and industries. So yes, this is a very common situation when you look at every single school you pass by on your day to work or wherever you go. Awesome. Hey, look, let's let's do the show on this. CS, thank you so much for your comment, and a Run As Radio mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a Run As Radio mug, write a comment on the website at runasradio.com or on LinkedIn or Facebook. I publish every show there as well, and if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. But this is a huge topic, and I think we can just keep digging into it for a while. I mean, if we back up just a few years, a decade or so, and the cloud was sort of new, we were living happily in our perimeters. Everybody, had, you probably had a VPN if you allowed remote work at all. And so, you know, we, we had a sort of for, fortress mindset and the idea of services outside of the firewall was not a thing. The cloud was pushing on that before the pandemic, but the pandemic set this crazy. Like one of the story arcs I've been working on since the pandemic really got rolling is when are we going to clean up the mess? Like the rush to get everybody working again when we all suddenly had to work from home. I think we compromised an awful lot of security. The question is, and I, I think about the listeners to this show, it's like, are we really just going to try and put the genie back in the bottle, get everybody back in the perimeter again? I think we would miss out on a lot of creativity and a lot of people we would not have originally been able to reach if we just create this as an all-inclusive, we got to all come back to this, as you said, genie back in the bottle situation. Right. But we don't want to just also throw security out the window. And there's a ton of ways we can also secure it without making it so secure that we make people want to go through other methods. And that's something I like to give a lot of talks as a precursor to before I give you the security talk and rolling back to the CIA method, make sure you have availability of your data because if you make it so locked down, they can't do their job, they're going to find another way and it's always going to be less secure than the right. easy or secure way you can let them do their data transfers. Well, you've already annoyed them with security. Why would you think they'd pick more security to do it their own way? Exactly. <laughs> and password controls, cycles, and all of that. And there's always going to be one method versus the best methods versus the other method versus the new method. Right. Ology that you'll have to deal with over time. Well, I mean, I, I blame the smartphone. This all started with the smart. When the smartphone became the best computer you owned, like once upon a time, the machine at the office was the best computer you were exposed to. Your home machines were nowhere near as powerful. Like that was one thing. But people's expectations shifted when the iPhone came out and and how good devices could be. I think we've in IT have been rushing to div deliver the level of service uh, that that the smartphone infrastructure has given folks where they're now used to looking for tools online, finding their own solutions and just doing it. Like everyone's got that skill set now. You've used a smartphone. 
So and and they're also falling for the hype because they don't really have experience on selecting good tools. Good being that have some sense of security in them. One of my essential security talks has one of those fun questions is you can't lock down or can you lock down a network that includes a BYOD infrastructure? And right. the answer is kind of, sort of, but you got to think about it more. And it's going to be a little bit more on the IT side and you're going to have to take into consideration your end users. And some Thing that I've um, come accustomed to more recently and something someone explained to me more recently is developing something maybe like a tiger team because you're not in their everyday business, their everyday workflow. And what a tiger team is going to do is they'll tell you what they do every day and what they'll need access to and what they can and cannot deal with on a daily basis. And they'll be very frank if you tell them this is how it's going to be deployed. Then once you've deployed the entire system and it's able to be tested, developing an entire new tiger team that's not even made from the original stakeholders that's going to have some type of passion behind it to then give you the feedback to continuously reiterate and develop this. And apparently this was something that was originally developed by some armed forces through the United States. And that's how they reiterate and get better strategy planning. So it's going into the domain experts, the folks already doing the work and finding the fussiest folks, almost the ones that are going to oh, yeah. do all. You know, and you know, those personalities too, right? That the meticulous detail types. Not hard to find. Yeah. I'm very sure. And probably excited to share their thoughts with you too. Always. They're <laughs> the people that if you have someone that's always knocking at your door Willing to offer their insights or even someone that's always saying, hey, did you read that article about that thing? And you're like, I haven't even had my coffee yet. Yeah, I got work to do. Sorry. Yeah. You want that guy on your tiger team. You want that guy on your adoption team. Right. You want that guy on the front line because he's the one that's everyone else is probably going to come to with questions as well. And you're lessening some of your adoption workload on the other side. Yeah. and Which is great. And you also get, I mean, not only, I, I worked with a woman who was the most meticulous. What was brilliant about her work is she remembered order of execution every time. Like she never missed a detail. But, you know, not a warm, fuzzy personality, but boy, oh boy, those those bug reports were the most detailed thing I'd ever seen. And, and you could reproduce, right? Like they, they're really valuable. So to be able to, um, to give them a role in making the workflow better. I must say, you also want non-technical people on right. here. So I have a story about uh, someone that came through a Security Plus training. And this is a technical certification for anyone out there from CompTIA. But it was a required training from everyone from their business and their requirements. Now, she was not in a technical position, but she was on this team to be more of an administrative role. But she was such a good note taker. She paid attention. She reviewed her notes. She had a book bigger than the actual book by the time she was done with this course. She ended up passing the test with the best score out of hmm. every single person in that class because she paid attention she did what she needed to do but she was definitely not a very technical person but she was dedicated to what it was and she was willing to understand what she was working with when, I, when i'm thinking in terms of you know 
teaching folks how to use a good stack, they're not technical people either. So why would I use work with anyone other than non-technical people to make sure the language is right? You know, we skip over stuff that non-technical people don't necessarily understand because we know all the acronyms, we know the the concepts. So it's it, it makes a lot of sense to put together teams of folks that are going to be more like everyone else that's going to be using these things. Absolutely. And once you've understood exactly what they're going to need, you can start to develop tools for what you can use. Like you can implement data loss policies to help restrict loss of data between different applications. Mm -hmm. And I always, always recommend single sign-on in an organization because the more you can control the password resetting and inflammation in that organization, the easier it is going to be for the end user. And you're not going to have to reset 100 passwords across 100 different systems that all look like Chinese on the back end for resetting passwords. So there's only so many choices for single sign-on, really. I mean, when we... when we Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, there's some third-party products, but typically you end up with a single sign-on with whatever your preferred cloud provider is. Not that any organization I've talked to of any size uses one cloud provider. Like, they always have, a, you know, we're mostly Azure, got a little Amazon. Yeah, yeah, no, we're all AWS, but, you know, we're using Salesforce. Like, it, there's... I don't know how you get to single sign-on just because there's always such a mix. Well, some of those OAuth types of organizations will then be cross-compatible with each other, right. and then they'll offer the MFA on top of that. There's a couple of homegrown situations that you can get into, but then you have to be very comfortable deploying that public-private key kinds of situations yeah. and securing your infrastructure enough to make sure you're not going to compromise your entire organization on a much more detrimental level. Well, you know, to me, it's like, A, the chance you roll your own, get it right, is low. And B, that's a permanent maintenance problem. Oh, yeah. Right? I Wouldn't go into an Okta make a hundred times more sense? since they do that full-time? I have always been a huge fan of, yeah, people are a little hesitant to move into cloud, giving up some of that control to someone that is not within their organization, but they've spent a whole lot more on security, maintenance, expertise, and knowledge than you do in the entire existence of your company within a week hands down yeah without a doubt and it and it is their full-time job literally that's what you pay them for exactly so it's, it's not like we've got any shortage of work around here i i don't know how we got this far i never said the word zero trust because i was thinking about cs and his whole point it's like well all of those tools he was describing they all have a, a zero trust model github does google does like that's kind of the norm isn't that solving the problem Zero trust, I'm not a huge fan of that word. Mm -hmm. I personally feel like it's a buzzword that steps away from the real problem and gives you a sense of comfort that doesn't allow you to address needs of your end users. Right. It allows you to kind of fall into the bubble of being the IT guy, turned on the zero trust mode. So you need to figure out how to do your job within each of these applications and no cross collaboration, no usability. And I don't care what your needs are. Interesting. 
But there are ways to implement, quote unquote, a good zero trust. And there are excellent talks on there on how to incorporate it. But just using that term, you need to have a cognizant understanding of what your end users are doing and then how these applications need to be able to communicate to do their jobs. And I think you're hitting on the key point. It's not using any given app. It's how you move data between apps. Yes. Yeah. That's a hard problem. It very much is. There is no one answer. That is, yeah. you're you're hired to do the job because there is no one answer. AI is not taking your job tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. She said the A word. And Corinne, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. If you work in security or IT and your company has Okta, this message is for you. Have you noticed that for the past two years, the majority of data breaches and hacks you read about have something in common? It's employees. Sometimes an employee's device gets hacked because of unpatched software. Sometimes an employee leaves sensitive data in an unsecured place. And it seems like every day a hacker breaks in using credentials they fished from an employee. The problem here isn't your end users. It's the solutions that are supposed to prevent these breaches. But it doesn't have to be this way. Imagine a world where only secure devices can access your cloud apps. In this world, fished credentials are useless to hackers, and you can manage every operating system, even Linux from a single dashboard. Best of all, you can get employees to fix their own device security issues without creating more work for IT. The good news is you don't have to imagine this world. You can just start using Collide. Collide is a device trust solution for companies with Okta, and they ensure that if a device isn't trusted and secure, it can't log into your cloud apps. Visit collide.com slash runasradio to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash runasradio. Back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Kieran Bissett. We're talking a bit about the the current sort of sprawling situation we have with a bunch of different services, both known and unknown. I mean, I, I've talked to lots of organizations where it's like, yeah, we're using this, this, and this uh, the, because those bills are coming into the finance department. It's all the free tools that the employees might be using or even paying for and expensing that you don't know about. Right. I know that you probably understand there's been an acceleration at the, even the company that I work for over time where we're starting to become more of a what I call a big boy company, more that enterprise world mm -hmm understanding and we're getting more processes in place and i think that's the key word you need to start to get a process in place because you can't stop someone from doing something but you can put processes and make them easy to follow and that is probably going to be your best hope hope to stop some type <laughs> of sprawl between applications. And if you make the process easy enough and understanding enough to your end users, then you can at least help them get it into the system, hopefully into your SSO so they don't have to remember a secondary password and they'll be happy. Right. And if you have a single sign-on page where you like have a central website that's internal, like an intrasite, uh, that you're able to then add that application so they don't have to remember a new address to go get their application, they'll be even happier. Maybe a ticket system, a shared email account where they request access to these new apps, even if they are expensing them themselves and an approval process of some kind. I think that's going to be your best way to help protect against that kind of sprawl. It, this is something, right? Like yes. 
process is the only way you can try. Yeah. <laughs> in that case. You know, and I appreciate this. Like we're just, we're trying to let it make it easy to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's never any guarantees, but I don't think there's any actual intentional bad actors out here either. Folks are just trying to get their work done. And what's the, the path of least resistance? Yeah. I, I remember dealing with an organization that was literally figure, filling up the USB ports on their workstations with epoxy. That was their anti, you know, data walking out of the office strategy. That That's excellent. <laughs> is it? I don't think it is, Corinne. I think it's fairly horrifying. You know, there's no coming back from that, though. You can talk about software unlocking that hardware lock on your drive, but you're not pulling epoxy out of <laughs> yeah, no, You filled those A ports <laughs> with epoxy. We're really serious. Don't put any USB keys in here. You know, it worked for Stuxnet. (laughs) So we talk about in IT all the time having physical, virtual, and policy guards. And that is definitely one of those physical guards to go along with your policy and virtual uh, situation. So, yeah, layers. If you can have a physical definitive layer between your security your man traps that was a usb man trap situation yeah no pretty extreme one at that i mean uh, and we i've got shows coming on microsoft purview which is supposed to be the all the new name of the all-encompassing data loss prevention tools they 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 shift that product stack around pretty routinely so actually Mm. syntax is the newest backup software for the 365 side on oh yeah Microsoft and it's going to be knitted in with the copilot's word that's coming in I think uh June should be a public ish kind of People can play with this out there. MVPs have already been whispering it. Yeah. So if you're interested in playing with Copilot and Syntax, it's actually a data-integrated AI type of system that allow you to categorize and govern your data, but it also offers a layers of let me retain these certain data types for this long if they've been deleted in my system. So governance, yeah, a kind a kind of governance model. I mean, it, right yeah. right now it seems like the M three sixty five co pilot. I mean, we're publishing about a month after we record this, so who knows what's going to happen in a month? But it looks like they've only been rolling it out uh, for biggest customers, which to me makes a lot of sense because that's the folks with a huge customer base where it's like they're trying to figure out what the value is going to be here. I mean, it's really interesting to think in terms of if you are now describing your intended work to a piece of software, the how do I transfer these files to this other person through that tool, like it's now going to select the tooling for you, which is cool because now for me, from a governance perspective as an IT person, it's like, hey, this is our preferred way of moving files around. Like this is the secure approach or, you know, how we prefer to get those things done. I mean, you know, I do a lot in the Microsoft side, and I know in purview, if we're talking about that for the cloud and protection, they do have the data loss policy. They have the score in there, so it gives you some ideas on where to check, and they have 
a way to check how many people have access to shared files on SharePoint sites, which is one of the number one requests. Like, how do I know if this is shared out to my entire organization right. for my HR files? I'm like, there's a report you can run and you can go into your security and compliance uh, centers back and forth. And it's in the purview side for that one. Right. So Syntax is a new tool? That's- Syntax is not a... New, new tool. Syntax has been around for a little while. Syntax is also, I believe, in the Power Automate side, but it's a document sort of reader right. that allows you to then use that reading of that document, the training of the reading of that document to then governs that data to know, okay, I use these retention tags, I save it this way, and then I actually... Um, retain it for this long. Right. For over here. Kind of like an advanced form of e-discovery capabilities. Yeah. We did all we did all this in exchange for ages because that was your principal e-discovery space. It's like, how long do you retain email based on what ca- uh, categorizations, all that. To have that applied more broadly is interesting. I mean, looking at the website, it's all about AI on it as well. So um, it is. It's almost like an infection. Like, was this viable before we stuck these words in front of it? I I don't even know the answer to that. So think about this: when you're storing all of these files to OneDrive, mm-hmm. and you have PDFs that don't actually have words that were words, but pictures that were words that were transferred over, and all these files that have stuff that could be read if they were actually put through a system that could read them, yeah. or warehouses that were scanned in documents. What this can do is you can train a model to read, okay, this is where the name should be, this is where the address should be, this is where the order should be, and it can be trained to say, okay, I'm going to rip all of these out and put these into another table and relational database and keep these in whatever area it needs. Right. This was the original power automate side that's been kind of pushed out, and that's syntax. But it's getting more governance features that are being the retention features. Right, right. For 365. Yeah. So it's really cool. Yeah, and it's obviously just a logical extension of that. You're doing this already, but you could also deal with retention as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I just, I still think how many folks listening to this show are still very much living in a company that says, oh, no, keep everything. Like, I think it's a hard path to get an organization to think of terms of when should data be destroyed. I've heard policies all across the board up to 99 years, yeah. and I've heard the fun comments of, I want to know what my great-great-great-grandpa did. Um, if you put it in that context, let me think about it for a second. Hmm. Yeah. Do I? But. Maybe I do because the regulation says I do, and then it's kind of um at the end of the conversation. Regulation is regulation. Yeah, I mean, in some ways it's easy when it's a regulated industry. Yep. Um, when you get legal involved at a, in, at a whole and start looking at the liability of data, that's a whole other can of worms, and different organizations oh, yeah. have different perceptions on that. But mo- your average information worker just just wants as much information as they can to save as much time as possible. And so the idea that they would limit retention is just strange to them. Like, why? Why would you not? Storage is cheap. Keep everything. Storage is cheap to a point. Yeah. When you start looking at our video files and 
you know, this audio coming out of this, mm -hmm. we start looking at the terabytes and terabytes of data. If you kept every single edit of a video you did, yeah, could you imagine how many hard drives would be stacked behind you right now? <laughs> well, they're getting bigger, <laughs> and it, and I mean, I'm. I'm fascinated with how Teams is now auto-making transcripts and things because they do want to retain that information but are trying to manage the size. But yeah, it's it's an interesting area of governance. You know, I, I remember when IT folks were worried the cloud was going to take our job, much less AI. And it's like, hey, there's all these things we've never gotten to around governance, about managing data, about managing the security around this, because we've been in the firefight of in just keeping servers up and, and onboarding and offboarding users and so forth. And now that more and more of that is automated, this is where we can provide value. Like better organizations have these this level of oversight and can and deal with it. And in some ways, blowing up the perimeter and shoving out to all these services just opens the door to, we need to do this because there's nothing else. Otherwise they folks are going to continue to run wild and we're going to have leaks of data sooner or later that are going to cause real problems. Back to the heart of the matter though, we're talking about the mom and pop shop that's having sure. to deal with the same thing that enterprise is having to deal with. Yeah. But my secret tip is it's also education. And it seems to me that education and education on the topics with education seems to be a little cheaper and a little bit more in depth with the privacy behind the users. So if you're looking for some insights, looking at ed education conferences sometimes gives you that little gold mine of what you need for that mom and pop shop. Hmm. And there's conferences all around the different states and you can even ask maybe your local high school like hey do you know of any local ish within the state conferences that might be up in the running and they may even know them online for free because they're dealing with these problems yeah yeah i uh even do the brainstorm uh here and it does a northeast side of the united states and they're a fairly reasonably priced conference to go to for it professionals will all even see they're from banks like little banks right. because they want to know how to secure everything. Yeah. You don't, ha you don't only have to go to the big shows. I mean, if you want to scare yourself, RSA is a good way to do that. Like that, that place is scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. But there's plenty of local conversations going on and yeah, industry specific too, I think is an interesting way to approach that rather than just, you know, diving into the, to the giant space of security for security's sake and for the industry's sake, stick with your vertical, and uh, you'll and you'll learn some things. Wow, what haven't we covered here? Because it's it, it does feel like there's so many different pieces. There's really no mechanism for enforcement anymore. Like if people are working from home and they're going to use other software. There's not a whole lot you can do. Not really. I would say train your users. Don't make the training hours long. Have your like tech tips. Friday, every few Fridays on an email. And mm -hmm. my best tip is have the first little section in this nice window of a tip, something that's super useful to them. Make it something that makes their job easier, right. that makes them want to keep reading that list of other tips that may also boost their security. And then something that makes them feel smarter so that when they walk up around the water cooler or something else, they also feel smarter. If they learn one thing that helps make you more secure, learns a policy from that one email, your entire organization is doing better than they did the day before. Nice. And and yeah, obviously MFA works. Uh, a few weeks back, I did a show with Sammy Leho. We were talking about how 
it's not phishing that's the primary breach source is unpatched servers which is really a sign that we've been good with mfa like that's salt that has addressed it not that you should stop but it's like it's made a difference enough that it shifted the attack profiles but all the more reason for us to be moving to services like if the primary vulnerabilities now are unpatched servers having no servers or as few as possible is a pretty good strategy for dealing with this next wave of exploits. So in some ways, I know you feel scared a fellow like CS with all of this array of services, but in a lot of ways, they're pretty robust. You're, you're not dealing with bad guys in the outside world taking you out. It's mistakes made by your own people. And that's, that's at least they're, they're, they're not malicious. No. And you're not alone. Yeah. There's always people out there to help you. Ask. Reddit's out there. There's free forms to go talk to people and use your resources. Yeah. We work way at it. That's very fair. Uh, Corinne, always fun to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. <laughs>